I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Virago Podcast a monthly celebration of books, reading, and writing, brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. I'm Sarah Savitt, publisher of Virago, and I'm delighted to be here today with Sonia Purnell, who's an acclaimed biographer and journalist, and she's here to talk about her new book, a Woman of No Importance, The Untold Story of World War II Most Dangerous Spy, Virginia Hall, which is out next week on the 28th of March, just in time for Brexit, which we're not going to talk about. <laughs> um, so we've been working on the book together for several years. Well, you've really been doing it, and <laughs> I've just been cheering, cheering you on. And it's really thrilling to have the finished book in my hand and to talk to you about it. So first, I wondered, could you just tell us kind of in a nutshell, who is Virginia Hall and why did you want to write a book about her? Well, thanks so much for having me on. Virginia Hall, I I stumbled across her. My last book was also about the Second World War, about a very um, powerful but overlooked woman, Clementine Churchill. It was a period that I found totally fascinating and it it made me realise that so many women played such huge roles but we just don't hear about them Mm. or we didn't hear about them. I mean, I aim to obviously change that. I stumbled across Virginia and I thought... I knew about her disability. She had a, a wooden leg because she'd shot herself in a, in a hunting accident and she was a spy in the Second World War. That was all I knew about her. But I thought this was kind of pretty in- intriguing. I started sort of delving into her history and I realised there was this wonderful, extraordinary, inspiring tale there. It, it was three years of detective work, really, to put it together. She had 20 different code names. That didn't make it easy. Um, there were lots of um, bits of paper, documents and things have been lost. But I managed to find some of those again. And, and each step I took, I realised that here was a woman who'd overcome prejudice, rejection, disappointment again and again, but then became, you know, a true hero. We're always looking for heroes. She really was. She was phenomenal. And it was such a pleasure to kind of unravel that story Mm. and find out about her. Yeah, it was really fun when you were doing the research. You know, we talk every couple months and, yeah, to hear about that. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear about 
um, that uh, sort of later in the podcast. But for now, I just want to stick with her story a, a little bit more. And I mean, she's a very unlikely spy, and this is part of what makes the book fun to talk about. So she's you know from quite well-to-do American family. Um, as you say, she she lost her leg, so she ended up with a, a prosthetic leg. Um, but even though she was American, she ended up working for the British, but then in France. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, sort of, what drove her to sort of ditch, you know, this life that she was supposed to have? She was supposed to marry, you know, the man that her mother had picked out and, you know, stay home, raise a family. What, yeah, what prompted this transformation? Well, thank you for that question, because I'm always really interested in, in motivation. So, yes, she she was kind of raised to to make a sort of dynastic match, almost. Mm. To marry um, an eligible young man, you know, have a fashion household, have some nice, well-behaved, well-groomed kids. But this was never going to be Virginia. When she was a kid, she was a tomboy. She liked to run around in, in the woods. She liked to ride horseback um, without a saddle. She liked to go hunting with her dad. She once went into school with a bracelet of live snakes. I mean, you know, this was not an ordinary kind of girl. And her classmates realised this. And so she was kind of quite famous. She was a figure at school. So I think it was always unlikely she was going to come and mm. do what her mother wanted her to do and, and settle down and marry. She wanted a career and she wanted a career abroad so that she could travel. She really, really wanted to be an ambassador. Mm. The problem was there'd never been a female ambassador uh, for America at that time. And so although she had these great ambitions, even though she learned several languages, she had a sort of string of qualifications from different universities, she was rejected by the State mm. Department. Her career never really went anywhere, and then she lost her leg. Now, this was such a tragedy for this adventure-loving woman who loved to travel, who loved those country sports. She thought she was going to be reduced to a, a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Well, that was something she couldn't tolerate, absolutely couldn't um, just imagine her life going that way. So it was the most extraordinary galvanising thing. She had to, from that very day that that happened, when she survived, and she only just survived, she had to make her life meaningful. She had to mm. find a way that she could prove what she could do. It wasn't a question of what she couldn't do anymore. Mm. It was all about what she could do. Well, I mean, you know, you can't sort of prove that more than by becoming a spy in behind enemy lines. Yeah. And World War Two. I mean, she went the full Monty <laughs> there. But that was, I really believe that that motivation was what drove her and drove her to do extraordinary things and take insane gambles with her life, actually. Mm, mm, mm. And I loved the um, the descriptions of how she learned to be a spy. And as you say, you know, she had she faced so much rejection in her life, so much prejudice. And then when she finally breaks through, they kind of send her to spy school, right? And could you tell us a little bit more? I loved those those bits in the book. Um, yeah, could you tell us more about the training that she went through, what okay. they were teaching her? Well, I mean, she was an espionage novice, so she had to start from scratch, really. So she went to this, this villa hidden in a new forest just north of Bournemouth. Yeah, spy school. And they taught her things like, how do you take something 
off a desk but then replace the dust so it doesn't look like it's been moved? How do you pick locks? How do you make um, secret inks out of urine? How do you seem to be someone different by changing your laugh or the way that you move or um, how you put little rubber slithers in your cheeks to make your face look different or change your makeup or your hair or your glasses or wear glass, how to walk differently. That was quite a difficult one for mm. her because obviously she had this prosthetic leg. So, um, And also, um, we don't know this for sure, but it seems pretty likely she went through the standard drill of being woken up in the middle of the night, um, flashlights being put in her eyes, shaken, shaken awake with a rifle butt, lots of German voices shouting at her. This was kind of give her wow. the idea what it would be like if she got caught. So she went through all of this in, in really in just a few days mm. in this kind of bizarre suburban village just <laughs> north of Bournemouth, an unlikely place, <laughs> unlikely training, unlikely spy, as you say, but it kind of worked. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, the part of the reason, obviously, that you wanted to write the book and that I wanted to publish it was because she really, she accomplished huge things and she really pushed spycraft forward and could you so as you said she was total a total novice she had these three days in the new forest and um can you say then what she did with that that knowledge and obviously her own intelligence and and passion sort of how did she um move spying forward what did she well change? the problem was at the time that um she had to go behind enemy lines in into Vichy France um, and set up networks, therefore, in a foreign country with no reception committee. No one was there to help her. No one knew quite how to do that because no one had done it before. Mm. <clears throat> so she arrived with a, with a list of nine names, but none of whom she could really trust or know that she could trust. So she had to set networks up for, from scratch. She had to find think, people who she'd never met before to help her set up these networks. The networks were important because they were there to um, gather intelligence about what the Germans and their supporters were doing in France, but also to form the nucleus of what would become eventually the secret armies, the resistance, if mm. you like. So she had to use this sixth sense, which she became very adept at doing, just making judgments about people. You know, can mm. I trust you? Can I recruit you? Will you do what I ask you to do? knowing full well that anyone she recruited could potentially betray her. Mm -hmm. So it was a risk every single time she was playing with her life, every single time. And the fact that she survived and the fact that she was so successful just shows us how good she was at that instinct about people. Yeah. Um, but the way that she did it, you know, is, is used by the CIA today. Mm -hmm. I spent a day there and they told me how they'd use her techniques in Afghanistan. Right. I mean, you know, this is something that Virginia really helped pioneer, but is something that is um, relevant today as it was then. Mm. And just to back up a little bit, can you... Um, Tell us exactly when she went to France, kind of at what stage of the war she, yeah, when is she kind of entering France? And well, so she entered France exactly two years to the day um, from the outbreak of war. By, by this point, France had been, had capitulated to the Germans, it had been divided into two, most of it under direct German rule, part of it. 
under uh, supposed autonomous rule of the French, but um, really they were just kind of puppets of, of the Nazis. So it was German rule by, you know, um, one remove, really. Um, so the risks were very much um, similar to the rest of France. She arrived um, during a thunderstorm, actually. It was very, very hot. It had been a very hot summer. Uh, she arrived, first of all, in Vichy. She started making contacts from day one. I mean, she didn't waste any time. She got right in there. And after a month, she moved to Lyon, which is about 70 miles away from Vichy, and started setting up her network there. She thought it was um, an easier place to do so. So mm -hmm. one of the first people she recruited was the, the madam of a brothel, a very successful brothel in Lyon, Germaine Garin, this immensely glamorous and rather gorgeous figure um, who helped her with all sorts of contacts. And um, her the girls, the girls, in inverted commas, <laughs> who um, work for her, the filles de joie, as the French call them, uh, they they also were recruited and mm -hmm. did some amazing things for Virginia. So I, I guess she looked in unusual places that other people might not have thought of, but yeah. it, again, that was very successful. Yeah, I, yeah, it's so thrilling to hear you talk about it, even though, you know, I've read this book several times, <laughs> but um, yeah, your enthusiasm for her is infectious. Um, it, interesting, actually, talking about her befriending this madam and sort of, you know, um, the, you know, the, the prostitutes and sort of using them as, as contacts and I wondered do you think would it like would a man have been able to do that was there were there aspects to her being a woman that were useful in terms of her being a spy I mean obviously it you know it made it so much harder for her to become a spy but what were the kind of pluses and minuses Yes, I mean, initially, so she was spying for the special operations executive, and initially they thought, well, we can't send a woman out, we can't do this, we can't do that. It's, you know, unthinkable. But actually, they didn't have anyone else, so they did. So off she went. And actually, in many ways, it, it was an advantage, at least to begin with, because, you know, attitudes were sort of you know, outdated even then, in a way, but they didn't consider that women were capable of of um, working for the resistance or doing some of the things that Virginia was doing. So she would have been under less suspicion initially as a woman, I think, than if she'd been a man. But she was undercover, um, the cover of an, as a, of an American journalist, so that also helped. I mean, I think that was only really helpful to begin with, mm -hmm. though, because I think the Germans be began to be quite suspicious of anyone quite quickly. But I think it was that... I know one shouldn't ever generalise, but there was something about her intuition about mm. people, that emotional intelligence that we mm. might call it now, that actually is often sort of overlooked in terms of the qualities of a good spy mm. or a good secret agent. She had it in spades, and I think that really did help her. And it meant that she could make really unusual alliances such as mm. Germaine Garin and indeed Germaine Garin's VD doctor. Um, you know, this really was a sort of un unusual kind of coterie, but these were her two main lieutenants. Mm. And they trusted her. They put their lives on the line for her very quickly. Maybe they wouldn't have done that to a foreign man because there she was coming in, but she was putting her life on the line mm. for their country. And... And they were so impressed by that that, that they decided they would do the same. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. And I think, I, I guess often you do sort of 
yeah, there's this kind of debate about whether women, you know, sort of women's intuition just comes from the fact that women live in a man's world. So we grow up having to figure out someone else's, you know, sensibilities and priorities. And um, so sort of weirdly living in the patriarchy makes you more mm. <laughs> intuitive and emotionally intelligent. Maybe that's the well, I mean, benefit. I think that, that may be. <laughs> um, I think also to add to that, because she um, was disabled, she had been rejected by the State Department for that reason, as well as her, her gender. I think, therefore, she was very um, in tune with people. She was mm. very good at picking up signals and sort of unspoken, unwritten messages because she had had to be. That that accident had isolated her quite mm. a lot and she'd received quite a lot of, you know, painful, hurtful reactions from people. So I think she it did help her her disability, mm -hmm. it helped her to understand and to read other people. And, you know, maybe being a woman also worked with that mm -hmm. too. Fascinating. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, I wondered, um, like many people with, you know, with all-consuming jobs and jobs where you have to travel, and obviously she, her job was an extreme version of that, but she really had to put her personal life on hold for, for a long time. Um, but she did find love in the end. Um, so she not to did. make her into a, a romantic heroine, because obviously, um, you know, we're talking about her and you've written a book about her because of her huge accomplishments. But I wondered if you could say a little bit about how being a spy yeah, impacted on her personal life and her relationships with other people, that sense of isolation. You write well, really, really well about in the book what that does to you as a spy. Well, she was an extraordinary person, but she was also a person like us with all the needs and insecurities that all of us have. We all crave, um, you know, company and being able to divulge our secrets, talk things over. But she couldn't do that. She couldn't tell anyone anything because even if they were on the same side as her, they might be caught and tortured and give away details about her or they might carelessly say something that they didn't mean to or, or do something silly. So she always had to 
hold herself back. And there were male colleagues that she had who, who were quite the contrary. And, and um, you know, it was quite a pull, really, uh, for a lot of the male colleagues. Being a secret agent um, meant that uh, quite a lot of women were rather interested mm. in them. And some of those secret agents, I'm afraid to say, um, took advantage of that. And some of them paid with their lives because they were careless. And that Virginia saw that carelessness led to consequences. So she always held her back. You hear these stories about some of those agents being so lonely that they would eat their dinner in front of a mirror because at least they could trust their reflection. Mm -hmm. And it was like that. And and a lot of us would have cracked. I think I might have cracked. I, I really do. But she didn't. She didn't let herself go. She didn't confide in people. And that's why she survived three years behind enemy lines and were almost the longest of anyone in France, Allied agents. I mean, and, and it was for that reason. And yes, ultimately, though, it's lovely because she did find someone right towards the end of the fighting in mm-hmm. France and, and they later married and, and he lightened her life. And, and when I think about that, when I think of what she'd been through and I think about that she did finally find love, I mean, that's when it really gets me. I'm just so... I'm so pleased that that happened mm. for her. Yeah, no, I, I felt the same. And and the way that you write about it in the book, it's, you know, it's it's not the sort of cliche like, oh, thank God she found love in the end. But it's, as you say, she, she held back from everyone, you know, from her mother, from she wasn't really allowed to have any friends or, you know, any of those intimate connections. So I also, yeah, I found that so moving every time I... I read it to know that she had someone she could talk to and can <laughs> confide in in the end. Yeah, she was, I mean, completely alone. She mm. fought alone. She had to and until right at the end. And then and then that changed. Mm. Yeah. Um, and going back to, you know, what she what she did in France. Um, I mean, I don't want to spoil the book. There's so much in it. Um, but I wonder if you could pick out sort of maybe one uh, sort of one operation that she was involved in that you found particularly interesting or um, felt sort of innovative in terms of what she was doing or particularly important in, in the course of the war? Well, I mean, everyone's heard of Colditz, um, the escape from Colditz, but as we know, you know, those men didn't make it. They were recaptured on the whole. But Virginia um, managed to break a dozen agents out of a prison camp in France in spectacular style. And no one has heard of this. It's so extraordinary. There was a prison camp called Mozak. She um, got these guys out. They were all secret agents. They were desperately needed for the war effort. They'd been in a fortress jail. She'd managed through extreme cunning and persuasiveness to get them transferred to a prison camp where she had a better chance of of getting them out. And I'm I'm not going to tell you all the details, but how she got them out involved a priest with no legs, um, a metal file in a jam jar, some messages put into a tube of aspirin and thrown over the um, barbed wire, and what else? Oh, um, a lot of sing-songs at at full volume to um, hide um, what they were doing, which was basically, you know, planning their escape. So um, this was the most extraordinary (laughs) operation. Um, No one knows about it, but I aim to change that. Yeah, that was that was very very fun to to read about. Um, so we keep touching on this this idea that, as you say, no one's really no one's told Virginia's story in full before, and you talked a little bit about why that that was so. You know, she had twenty code names. Obviously, her whole life was about keeping secrets and not broadcasting what she was doing. 
Um, how, yeah, how, how did you put those pieces together? Was it, was it fun writing about someone who tried to keep everything under the radar, or was it really frustrating? <laughs> well, it was a mixture of both, actually. I mean, it certainly took a long time, and, and sort of certain amount of obsessive digging. I mean, just ask my family about that, and they will tell you. Um, but... Um, it was incredibly rewarding because at each stage of this kind of detective work, I realised that her story was more extraordinary than I had dared hope. And there were some people around her that were more extraordinary. I mean, there's a cast of characters, incredibly colourful characters, most of whom you'll, well, pretty much all of whom you'll never heard of, but who were also heroes in their own right. And it was wonderful to find such people in all walks of life who would put their own concerns to one side and, and play their part. And it it was really inspiring. And I think about it a lot every day, you know, what, what those people might have done, you know, now perhaps, you mm. know. they That was very exciting. And it, as the sort of mosaic, putting the little pieces of the mosaic together, as the picture started to emerge, it, it was really quite incredible incredible I think and it, it meant traveling to the states it meant traveling around France it meant looking at lots and lots of dusty files and you know there were some dead ends and I couldn't find out what I wanted to a lot of the files have been destroyed some of them have been destroyed by fire others have just been lost it was frustrating at times but there are enough pieces of the mosaic out there that the story came through and that was very rewarding in the end, it really was. And, and um, I mean, it's called A Woman of No Importance, the book, because that's how she was so frequently seen in, during her lifetime. But she was incredibly important. And we, we should know that there were women like that mm. operating way back then. I mean, people still query, still controversial, the idea of women in combat. But 80 years ago, nearly, she was commanding men way behind enemy lines and you know let, let's not forget this this is a crucial part of our history and we should know about it yeah, well, what that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is why why don't we know these stories you know why have women like Virginia why don't we get taught, taught about them in schools or you know what yeah why aren't they in newspapers all the time um, is it is it something about her being a woman, or is it just that there's still so many amazing stories to come out of World War Two and and other and other parts of history? What what's your sense of that? Well, I, I mean, on one level, I think that you know that World War Two never stops giving because there were so many tales of heroism, and in a way, it's a story we can all understand. It's quite, yeah, I mean, it's bit simplistic, but it was sort of good against evil. We were all fighting against the same thing, which is kind of quite a sort of reassuring theme. But with women, the, the stories were not written down, by and large. With men, they were much often, much more often. I mean, a lot of the, the resistance, the, the female members of the resistance, did incredible things and never wrote them down. And when they were asked about them after the war, I said, well, yeah, I just did what I had to do and, and never wanted to talk about it. I do think there's a, there's a theme, actually, the more you do in circumstances like this, the less you want to talk about it. But I think also after the war, you know, there was a sort of a backward step in society. Things became very conservative again. Mm. And you think about the, the 1950s and the ideal woman was the, you know, the glamorous blonde at home with the kids and the and the pinny and the husband comes home. I mean, that, that didn't fit the narrative of daring do mm. badass secret <laughs> agents like Virginia. And, you know, she found it difficult after the war as a result. She no yeah. longer 
fitted the narrative and so it was as if all that part of history just kind of got blocked off mm. and I think it's our duty now that we kind of reopen it and have a look at it and, and actually understand what happened. Mm. Um, yeah, it is kind of, I mean, I know she did, you know, quite happily have a um, have a more domestic life with her partner after the war and everything, but um, yeah, she obviously really came up against that that sort of conservative backlash against against women um, in terms of when she went to the, she was in the early days of the CIA. Um, could you talk a little bit more about what she, what her involvement was with the CIA and what, uh, her frustrations there? Yeah, I mean, she she was one of the first women to join the, the CIA, and and, you, and as her interviewer said at the time, he couldn't, he'd never interviewed anyone as well qualified as she was. But she never really got given the big glamorous jobs, the overseas missions. She had a few, but it never really went anywhere. She wasn't promoted. There were issues about her pay. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The old gender pay gap thing was right there in the CIA, and I managed to get the job appraisals and see all that stuff. So, but also she was an embarrassment because most of the male CIA officers, they'd call them officers in the CIA, had never done anywhere near as much as she had done in the field. So she was kind of made them feel uncomfortable <laughs> and they took out that feeling of being uncomfortable on her, I'm afraid to say. Mm. I mean, what I would say now is that, you know, the CIA has just got its first female chief and she has said specifically that um, Virginia Hall was one of the women who paved the way for her to, you know, become director of the CIA and that the CIA now, you know, fully admits that they did not treat Virginia Hall properly after the war and did not, you know, make use of all her talents and experience. But obviously it's too late now, but, you know, we are at least finally progressing mm. on this. And she was, yet again, a pioneer. Definitely, yeah. And as you say, despite the frustrations, it's so brilliant to see her being celebrated by the CIA and, and obviously in this in this book as well. Um, and I know the movie rights were also snapped up very quickly. I think maybe even, I think after the US deal, maybe even before I, I bought the book. Um, anyway, very, very quickly. So Paramount have optioned it and with Daisy Ridley, I think, attached to Stars Virginia. Um, I know it's all very under wraps, but is there anything you can tell us about the film and what's happening? Well, um, being the mere author, of course, <laughs> probably the last to know, but um, there is a screenwriter who is um, working on it uh, as we speak. I think he has just been in France. I think he may have just finished his trip to France and doing some research there. Um, they seem very, very excited about the story, and which, of course, you know, it's just thrilling to think that we, we might see her on, on the screen soon. I, I just think it's... It's wonderful. It is a very filmic story. I couldn't help thinking that as I started researching it. So, yeah, it would just be great, you know. Yeah. Watch no. out for it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and what do you think, because as, as you made reference to Virginia after the war, didn't go around sort of broadcasting what she'd done and, you know, for, for good reasons, but um, what what do you think she would think of this this book, let alone being on the big screen? I think she would probably have been um, embarrassed. She didn't really like that sort of attention. I mean, she won this very, very uh, prestigious honour 
in the States as the second highest military honour, and she was the only civilian woman in World War II to receive it. And President Truman himself wanted to give her the honour and, and um, in the White House, and she turned it down because she didn't want the attention. But on the other hand, I think, you know, she would probably found it easier that other people were talking about her than she was talking about herself. And I think also she was keen for other women to follow her in, in her footsteps and, and realise that women did have these talents and such a contribution to make. So I'm hoping that she would, she'd like it, yeah. Yeah, I think she'd love it. <laughs> um, so just to finish off, um, you've uh, very kindly written a piece for our website about a few other women who you feel like should be celebrated, who've maybe been lost from, from history, and um, uh, we'll include a link to that piece um, on the, um, in the podcast notes. But I wondered if you could just tantalise us by just picking one of those women that you wrote about and um, talking about her now. Well, I suppose the one that I know best because I've written a book about her is um, Clementine Churchill, who, I mean, Churchill himself said he could never have won the Second World War without her. So, you know, that's kind of quite a good kind of write-up, I think. <laughs> um, and it wasn't just Churchill himself. It was Churchill's chief of staff. It was the American ambassador to Britain. Um, it was Churchill's doctor, who was around a lot. I mean, she was... Again, someone who was kind of trying to prove herself. When she married Churchill, everyone just laughed behind her back and thought she wasn't up to it. And, and it was all quite actually quite bitchy and not very nice. And um, so she decided the day that she married Churchill that she would prove that she would be, um, you know, not only a wife but also a kind of political partner. And, and a lot of the times she made him far more sensible than he would have been otherwise without her. And I think she stopped him making plenty more mistakes and helped him get over the mistakes that he did make and we we owe her a lot and she again was a pioneer and again you know there are books there are 800 page books about Churchill that basically don't mention her at all it's just bizarre it's just one-sided history and it's simply impossible to assess Churchill without knowing about her so it has to be Clementine mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I, um, uh, Oren published that, not Virago, but when I read that book, I did also think, oh my God, how has no one ever mm. written her story before? She's essential and, yeah, just completely fascinating. So, um, but yeah, as you say, there's just so many of these women who are, and, you know, and I'm sure men too, but particularly women whose stories are right in the centre of history and we don't know them. I think there are, and so many of their stories resonate today I mean a lot of the same issues I've already mentioned the gender pay gap but just these assumptions quite often made about women that are just unfair and ridiculous mm -hmm. because you know women are so different you know and can do all sorts of different things and it's just pointing out all these amazing talents mm -hmm. that are found in women just as they are in, in, in men but we, we don't hear about those talented women and I, I you know I really want to make a point of finding them and telling their stories mm. because I think we can all learn a lot from them mm, definitely yeah I know I mean as you've said Virginia is incredibly inspiring and um, yeah it's one of the things that makes the book 
I mean, it's so fascinating and gripping, but it's, yeah, it's really, really inspiring and something that really stays with you, I think. Well, she's just a bit like one of the friends that you really wish you had. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we were joking about getting what would Virginia do bracelets. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well, I often think that, you know, and I find myself in a bit of a pickle. I think, yeah, what would Virginia do? And she wouldn't, you know, she would stay calm first thing. Yeah. And then she would kind of just sort it out. But yeah, no, she's really, really inspiring. I mean, she really was a phenomenal woman and her all the, the you know the the challenges that life threw at her I think that triumph over adversity made her really something and someone so special so extraordinary that I just you know I love telling her story that seems like a perfect way to end and we're about to send Sonia off on a very long publicity tour so I will <laughs> let you go now to prepare um but yeah, so A Woman of No Importance is out on the 20th of March. Um, I hope this, the stories that uh, Sonia has been telling are just a few of the incredible, incredible stories in the book. Um, there's also a great plate section with lots of photos from of Virginia um, from her whole life. So um, I would say this, but it's so worth buying. So please go out <laughs> and buy it <laughs> and enjoy it. And we will, yes, also include a link to Sonia's piece on our website as well so you can read a bit more. And thank you so much to Sonia for coming in and oh, talking It's been to a us. great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Virago Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and also leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We'd also love you to be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, virago.co.uk. Tune in next month for another installment of Books, Feminism, and Conversation from Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.